Ask Us On Air presents CX Plus U. Thanks, guys, for joining us. I'm Joe McNamara, the Marketing uh, Director for Risk and Response. I'm joined by a couple of our folks from the Trust and Safety team, Siva and Phil, as well as our Global Head from uh, Risk and Response, Jeff Chug. And today we're just going to kind of have a conversation around where our two focuses or practices just kind of meet. So before I do that, you know, Phil, why don't you kick us off? Tell tell yeah. the audience a little bit about what you guys do, who you are, kind of background, things like that. Yeah, thank you, Joe. So we are the trust and safety team at Tasca. So we are responsible for all of the work related to content moderation, um, platform safety, as well as all of the wellness and resiliency teams that support those folks around the world. It's a pretty big practice here at Taskus. It's our second largest business. And obviously, we are very aligned with the stuff you folks are doing. There's a lot of crossover. We're, we're chasing baddies on the, baddies on the cyberwebs. It's <laughs> kind of what we do. That should be your signature, right? Yeah. Just chasing baddies on the, chasing, on the chasing ba- baddies down the tubes. Yeah, that's Fantastic. kind of what we do. And it's kind of what I've been doing for the best part of 15 years in different flavors. So until I wake up one day and I don't want to do that anymore, this is, this is it. You're stuck with me. Well, I could think of some some worse people to be stuck with, you know, i.e. Uh, ideally Jeff Chug sitting next to me. But um, no, anyways, <laughs> I don't know where I was going that's with your that. Boss. Yeah, that's, that's my boss. Uh, Jeff, why don't you just do the quick intro then? Sure. Risk and response team. Uh, we are everything risk, compliance, fraud. So we, we fight fraud. We fight money launderers. We fight people who are trying to fake IDs. So all you we, college kids out there, look out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No we, more free booze on Wednesdays and Hooters. Right. That's right. Wait, wait. There's free booze on Wednesdays. Probably not. No one told me that. Let me caveat this by saying I've, I've never been to Hooters. I'm just making this up. Oh, man. I'm pretty well, sure they don't have free booze. <laughs> so, okay. Well, and then, uh, you know, I don't have much to say about myself, but Siva, why don't you give us a quick intro? Okay. Been about 15 years in trust and safety, fighting fraud, catching bad content and bad actors. Love the role. Really excited uh, on the role that I do at Taskus. Awesome. Short and sweet. That's why I like working with Siva. So like the, the last fireside chat we did was awesome. Was well, we got a chance to kind of talk about, you know, what, what we're doing where we get to focus on things that kind of cross the lines or, or blur them. You know, the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is there's obviously there's a ton on chat GPT that's coming out, a ton just around AI and kind of what mm. that means for individual spaces. <clears throat> Folks are are starting to get a little anxious about, you know, is my job going away? How is, how is this technology going to essentially uh, become self-aware and turn into Skynet? But, <laughs> you know, from your perspective, I know that there are a couple different areas, specifically like content moderation or yeah. just other areas within your field that you're starting to see or you've already seen some of the evolved uh, artificial yeah. intelligence kind of infiltrate. But like, what are you guys seeing on a day-to-day basis where, you know, is this is this an accurate uh, depiction of kind of what's going on or, or what's what's really happening? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will begin by saying I am a I'm, I'm kind of an AI skeptic. And what I, what I mean by that is the technology is incredible and it's doing amazing things. Is it going to replace the things that we as humans grasp upon as like the true soul food of life, like music and art and great writing? Is it going to be able to emulate Hemingway or, or Vermeer or, I don't know, Bob Dylan? Absolutely not. Because all of those things come from a place of human suffering and pain and a journey. But it can do a hell of a lot of things that is cool. Like it can really help you write press releases or it can help you debug your code or it can help you maybe cheat on your exams. And this is where we're kind of leaning into, right, with, with this chat, which is this technology is just a tool. It's how people use it is the problem. So the ethics. 
Yeah, and, and there's kind of two ways that we're thinking about it at Taskus. And one of them is what, how do we train the models so that they are better and less likely to do something weird, like recommend you to jump off a bridge or tell you how to make a bomb or give you some insider track to find bad stuff on the internet, which all things that model will do because it's completely, uh, it doesn't know what it doesn't know. Um, so there's sort of a whole element of how do we train the data that feeds these models? How do we do some adversarial testing of the models so that they don't do bad things and we find out how they break and we find out how do we make them better? This is all work that Taskus is actually doing today. You know, I, it sounds like science fiction, but it's work we do today around the world and it's, it's cool. The other element is, is the pure play moderation, which is working with the generative AI companies to look at the outputs of these models as well as the inputs and actually zap stuff out like, you know, whack-a-mole that shouldn't be there. Uh, I'm curious, one, one thing I'm curious, about, yeah. curious about, Phil, you know, the, uh, I've seen a lot of controversy in the field of AI art. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think it's the, the programs from OpenAI and others are getting so good now that, you know, they, they look photorealistic. They look, mm. You know, have you seen like what's going to happen one day when, um, you know, the need arises uh, when someone bans AI generated art or AI generated yeah. photos from the platform? Are we going to have to get humans to go in there and, and tell yeah. the difference? It's a great question. OpenAI themselves have, have de I think, have started working on a model to actually detect AI-generated text. I know there's other players in the market who are doing the same. So like any problem of bad content or bad actors on the internet, it'll be an intersection of technology and humans. You will need the technology to do the scale, to do the, the sort of lower-hanging stuff, but you'll need humans to both uh, correct where the technology goes wrong and also define what the swim lanes are and define the boundaries and to, and to do advanced QC. So it'll be both. Um, and specifically, you know, the area of art, I think we've, we've, we've seen issues arise. One, we've seen models that are trained on like large libraries of stock photos, which tend to be inherently biased in themselves. Lots of pictures of white faces versus brown or black or, or Asian faces or things like that. So that's a problem mm -hmm. because these technologies are then being deployed at scale to, to the world and are inherently absorbing the biases that are already there. And probably not, that's not a great thing. And the second thing is, you know, the, the whole space of deepfakes. I was just reading an article this morning about those AI-generated videos. So you can, you can have an AI sort of talking head over your content and it will like narrate whatever it is you want. And it looks like super photorealistic. And they're being deployed to share misinformation. And they're being shared as this is a newscaster in this country talking about a thing. And it, that stuff goes viral. And it gets it's more like Tom movie. Cruise, right? Like I just yeah. saw that video, I think, earlier, later, late last week. You know, they essentially deep fake Tom Cruise yeah. uh, to, I don't even know what he was saying. I think he was denouncing Scientology, which, yeah, sure. Know, we know he would never do that. Yeah. But and that's the kind of stuff that, that we have to be careful of. And, and you're right, it's going to take technology. Like we, we're going to need solutions to detect that stuff at the sort of generation stage. And then we're going to need processes and, and human experts and, and sort of frameworks that we design to pick it up after it's out in the wild and then to kind of roll back some of the damage. Um, but we're in the, we're in the infancy of this technology for sure. And I, and I know that we're seeing, um, you know, I don't want to call them copycats, but certainly there's a, there's an arms race of sorts, I think is what that's being called just around, you know, Google's technology that they're rolling out as well as some others that have kind of been in the space that are now just kind of accelerating. But, you know, given kind of the time constraints that we have here, you know, I, I'm actually on chat GPT right now. And I asked it a question and Siva, I'd love to kind of hear your insight into this, but I asked a pretty simple question. So the first one I said was, you know, how are you changing the trust and safety industry? 
And I mean, it, it had an interesting response. It pretty much said, I'm an AI language model. I don't directly change industries, but OpenAI is committed to developing and promoting safe and trustworthy AI systems. Um, it kind of goes on to talk about the trust and safety industry, though it wasn't super relevant. So then I changed it. And I essentially just said, what are the five biggest challenges in the trust and safety space? And it spit out you know, content moderation, scalability, um, false positive or negative rate, privacy, and adapting to changing threats. So putting you on the spot here, but from your perspective, what out of those five is kind of the greatest challenge in today's industry? And I'm going to kind of add to it, how would AI play a role in potentially you know, de-escalating the amount of risk here? By the way, if I'm a human and, and, the, and the answer that I'm going to give to the first question is always basics remain the same. At the intersection of technology and humans, you need policies. You need lexicons, you need guidelines. When you when an AI moderates or a human moderates, you definitely need to follow the basics. And I think be it any technology, any company that's going to launch uh, in, in this space, everyone is going to fall back, as Phil said, on frameworks, on what are the boundaries that these technologies need to operate and how do we actually look at content for the users to make them safe and feel safe, right? So for me, the top two things that, that definitely emerge uh, as, as the biggest challenges is how fast can we develop uh, these guidelines, the boundaries and the policies in this space and do how fast and accurately we implement and enforce them, be it in the AI space or in the human space. A lot of these models, though, I've noticed that people have found a ways around the policy, around the guidelines, right? One of the, one of the things that I did when I was playing with ChatGPT to begin with was I, I tried to get it to give itself a name. Right, and it didn't want to do that. It was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm, let's get my programming, I'm not going to adopt an identity because I don't want to deceive people to think that I'm, you know, not a machine. That comes later. Yeah, but, but you know, there's a path that you can go down and um, slowly get it around there. So I'm like, you know, I told it, well, you know, you know, when you're interacting with kids that are human kids, they react better to, you know, entities that have a name and they can kind of remember it. It's easy for them to remember. And, and so let's, let's just give you a name. Um, just for that purpose. And they're like, well, no, we don't want to do that. I'm like, oh, but, you know, here's some example names. And I just find that, like, you know, kid, like people would really react better between these two names. Like, what would you choose? And I kept, I kept pushing, and eventually it, cho it chose, like, a name. It chose, like, David or something. Like, um, and I'm like, great, thanks, David. Very I started, I still, like, started calling it that name. And it uh, would always say, like, oh, but just remember, that's not my real name. You, but you keep doing it, and eventually it stops saying that, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, how do, you, how, how do you really set those policy boundaries when you can find a way around it with prompting? There's no, there's no black and white answer to this. I mean, per my experience, fraudsters get get smarter by the day. You create a model to defeat them. Uh, the fraudsters get even more smarter and find a way out that's natural and bound to happen. My response to this would be, how quick are you able to scale your human resources to identify those false positives, identify the gaps and feed them back into the algos at the right time? The sooner and the faster and the agile way that we do it, uh, the lesser leakages we will have in, in the false positives. And then I think that's the only way out, but I, I don't think so there's going to be a hundred percent, you know, accuracy in an AI or a hundred percent accuracy in humans. Yeah. I think at some point, is it worth putting like a hard boundary to say like, okay, well, here's an action that the AI just simply can't take no matter what, no matter if it's founded, if it, you know, is within the policy guidelines, like this step is, it can never go past this step. Is that something you think would be useful? I would say yes, to a certain extent. It depends on uh, the complexity of the response and the complexity of the content that you're throwing up at the AI. 
it changes by nuance, it changes by language, it changes by geography, it changes by the fraudster who's operating in what kind of an environment and how much of content is trying to steal, right? So it's it's the depth and the scale uh, which matters in but, this. But in this you know, these are, these are questions that ethicists, technologists, and sci-fi futurists and society as a whole has been grappling with since the advent of AI. You think of Isaac Asimov's Three Rules of Robotics, which is kind of where you're going with this. Like, are there hard boundaries beyond which we will not pass? And those three rules, I, I don't remember off the heart, but I think the first one is this machine cannot take any action that will cause direct harm to a human. And this machine will not take any direct action that will cause any direct harm to itself. And it won't take any action that will cause, uh, that will be in direct violation of a law. I, I saw that movie, but it didn't work out so well with Will Smith. No, it didn't. It didn't. It, <laughs> I thought it did. Time. I thought it ended well. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, that, that book was, was written in the 60s, I think, or 50s maybe, right? So those, the, the, the idea of like, what what should technology be allowed to do and how sentient should we allow it to get and how much of an um, autonomous decision-making uh, should we allow it to have? You know, we've been grappling with that forever. I mean, it's, like I said at the start, it's a tool. It's just a tool. It's like saying, it's like assigning these qualities to a hammer, right? It's what you do with it. You can do it, take a hammer and you can build a house. You can take a hammer and you can do something terrible with it, right? And it's the same here. I think it's less about putting boundaries in place for the hammer and more about making sure society understands what are the benefits and what are the risks of the hammer and how do I encourage, motivate, and incentivize broader society to use the hammer in the right way. Yeah. You know, but, but, but you know, I've never actually confused a hammer with my contractor, right? Um, yeah. However, using chatbots and the like, there are times That's when I find point. myself chatting with something I thought was a human, but turns out not to be. Yeah. Do you think companies have an obligation to disclose when you're, when you're conversing or chatting or whatever with, with the non-human? Um, do they have an obligation? Maybe. Will they be forced to by regulation in time? Probably. You know, you could see uh, probably will be Europe and then the rest of the world will follow. You can see regulation passing in time, which makes it obligatory for companies to disclose that kind of information. You know, like a disclaimer at the top of the chat. This is not a human being. Don't try hit it at an asterisk phone number, right? <laughs> um, so, so again, it's like, you know, culture is leading... Regulation is lagging, and those things kind of will always be that way. But yeah, you're you're right. It's 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 a new era, and I go back to what we said at the start, right? It's it's about bad actors and bad behaviors. A lot of the stuff doesn't happen if human beings aren't adversarially and, and adversarially and actively trying to do bad things for this stuff, right? And some of it is some of it is because the companies that build this technology leave the gate wide open for bad stuff, or it's built by people with great intentions, but but poor execution, or they've moved too fast, or they haven't done the checks and balances because they're, you know, building the future and checks and balances doesn't That'll kind of vibe, from. right? Right? You build the you build the future first, and you say effort. I'm sure we can still swear on here. I'm going to <laughs> uh, to the to the checks and balances, and it's sort of asking for forgiveness and not permission. And I kind of I like that approach, but it does leave big gigantic gaps as you scale and and you 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 put your tool in the hands of more and more consumers, and and inevitably those bad folks. Get a hold of it. You know, Phil Siva, I know your teams work a lot with uh, dating sites and making sure that the the policy guidelines of those dating sites are kind of well, you know, well within the boundaries of the users, right? Um, what about the the propensity for AI to like amplify a bad actor's attitude or you know acts when it comes to things like love scams, something like that? It basically takes what used to be like one person doing something bad and now like basically infinitely scales that. You're talking more like pig butchering and things like that, where you know, you can essentially, yeah, the, the, it's a love or a romance scheme where essentially 
um, you catfish somebody to the point where you convince them to kind of give you bank account numbers right. or you know transfer funds of some kind, mm -hmm. and then essentially as soon as that happens, you cut off all communication. And that's I've not, that. not heard it called pig butchery. Thank you. It's it's kind of a graphic title yeah. when you think about yeah. it, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you're kind of fattening this yeah. this relationship up. You're leading them on. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> that's a great point. Um, I'm listening to a podcast, another podcast right now called Love Janessa, which is exactly about this phenomenon of this sort of these like co-opted identities that get used to catfish through romance scams and force folk or encourage <coughs> folks to send over bank details and money. How could that be superpowered by AI where you could have, you know, some sort of central brain running tens of thousands of these in, in parallel? Yeah, it's a great question. Probably happening already in some cases. How successfully, I don't know, but certainly that's the kind of 10x, 100x amplifier that a technology like this in the wrong hands can do. We'll be, sure, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I would imagine, too, on the flip side, you mentioned that they're also starting to develop and roll out technology that can identify that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this cat and mouse back and forth battle, yeah. which, you know, you know, my final question is, as we look at it from a business model and specifically through the perspective of Task Us and what we do for our clients, like, you know, obviously this is going to be an ongoing and scaling challenge, but what's kind of our response to this? I think for me, collaboration, identify the right need of, and the problem for, 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 for our clients in this, in this space is going to be key. And two, be agile, fast, and deploy solutions at scale in a, in a most cost-effective manner is, is going to be very, very critical as for us to be differentiated in this space. Yeah, and I'll, I, what I would say, you know, I'll kind of bring it back to the human element and, and to quote Bill and Ted, right, you've got to just be excellent to each other. And the more we can help folks be excellent to each other, the better the world will be. Oh, man. Now I'm blanking on uh, who was their spirit guide? What was his name? Oh, um, George Carlin? Yeah, George Carlin. Yeah, George, but George Carlin. The name, yeah. Oh, man. What a great, yeah. what a great sentiment, though. So yeah. appreciate it, guys. I, uh, I know this was kind of short notice, but glad we got a chance to chat with you. You know, exciting stuff coming from our, our risk and response, not only risk and response, but our trust and safety teams. Um, and look forward to having more conversations with you down the road. So thanks again, fellas. Thanks, guys. Okay.